morning, everyone. Today's, today's reading is from Hebrews 5, chapters 1 to 14. And it says, Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he's able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why we must, he must offer sacrifices for his own sin, sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for their work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God, who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. In another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest and he became the source of eternal salvation for those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in order of Melchizedek. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk and still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Amen. Well, we have a wonderful day today, beautiful sunny day. And thank you for coming and gathering on this day. You know, I think with, with uh, church, we're all doing our own thing, right? Throughout the week, we're all engaged in a lot of stuff. And then, uh, you know, we gather for an hour, and we get to think about God and worship Him. So it's a, it's a time out, right? It's a Sabbath. It's a time of refreshment. That's the idea. Because you may not be thinking about God in the same way throughout the entire week because everybody's very busy. So. so we have a chance for half an hour to reflect on divine things. So I think that's, that's good. Jesus in solidarity with us. So we've been looking at some weeks in the books of Hebrews. And uh, we mentioned that Hebrews, we don't know exactly who wrote the book, right? But it might be Priscilla. It might be Priscilla one of the teachers in the early church. And um, I, I kind of lean that way in my own thinking. And she's very upfront, right? She's bold. She's got right, right in your face. You guys are dull, she says to them, right? You're like a dull sushi knife, man. You can't cut through anything. You know, that's, you're, you're dull. <laughs> so she says it the way she sees it. You know, you keep drinking milk, and by this time you should be on solid food. You know, you can hear a, a mom saying that, maybe, you know. 
So she doesn't mind getting in our faces. Maybe we need that. Some opening ideas as we begin. Therefore, we must pay greater attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Go back to chapter 2, verse 1. That's an ongoing theme. We must pay greater attention. And note what she says here, the writer, what we have heard. So the gospel comes to us primarily through the word. It's from hearing. We live in a day when we want to see everything seen. We want to see the fruit. We want to see the experience right away. But the gospel comes to us in an age when hearing was dominant. So you remember the story, actually, when Jesus is with his disciples, and the disciples of John come to him because John the Baptist is now in prison. And he's wondering if Jesus actually is the Messiah. He's, he's, he doesn't know. I mean, he was expecting something else, expecting a great king to come. And so he, he's wondering. And Jesus' response to the, his, John's disciples is, go and tell him, firstly, what you have heard. Before he talks about what you have seen, it's about what you have heard. You've heard the gospel. You've heard about God's new work. And then you've seen miracles and so on. But he, he begins with what you have heard. And if that's the case, then coming to church and listening is a way that the gospel speaks to us. It always has been through hearing. So even though we live in a day where we want to see everything, hearing continues to be very important. So just struck me. Pay greater attention to what you have heard. Secondly, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Chapter 4, verse 16. Receive mercy and find grace. So what we might say is that grace, the word grace, is maybe the best word in the entire New Testament. Grace. What defines Christianity from all the other religions? Specifically, it is grace. It is grace. Amazing grace. In spite of all the crap we go through and crap we even live, God's word to us through Jesus is grace, amazing grace. So let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and note find grace. So grace is, is an essential characteristic of what Christianity is all about. And that's good news to us. It's good news that Jesus' message to us is one of grace. That means it's a message of acceptance. It's a message that the prodigal son can go home and his father is waiting for him. In fact, out on the road, running to him when he sees him. Grace. So through the ups and downs of a lifetime, you know, we all go through lots of stuff, and it's good to know that God's word to us is one of grace. So that's, 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 that's what Christianity is about. And then thirdly, as we begin, therefore let us keep holding on. Present tense, active. Present, active. Let us keep 
holding on. So you, right now, this Sunday morning, whatever stuff you're going through or your families are going through, people in your circle, your sphere of influence, whatever that is, let us keep holding on. Present active tense. Not just holding on a few years ago. Holding on right now. Right now. That's the invitation for all of us. So those are some words from the past few chapters that we've been looking at. And so we're going to reflect again today, we're going to reflect next week, and then the week after that we start Lent. So from Lent I'm going to switch and we'll come back to this later, but um, we'll look at some gospel texts as we begin Lent. So as was read, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. We're thinking about Jesus as our great high priest. Through the one who was able to save him from death, Jesus looking to the Father. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. You know, th those are challenging ideas. Those are challenging words. And we have to think about them. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So, Jesus, our great high priest. So what's that about? A prophet, we hear the words prophet and priest. The prophet speaks God's word to us. So someone might have the gift of prophecy. And the prophet, the person, can speak a word. And it's God's word to us. It's a prophetic word. Even in a sermon, there might be a prophetic word. God speaks to us, right? That's the role of a prophet. So you look in the Old Testament, you got the major prophets, you got the minor prophets. They are all speaking a word from God to the people. But the word priest is the opposite. The word priest, the priest speaks from people to God. Meaning the priest brings our concerns to God. And so in the Old Testament, you know, the high priest did his thing, the other Levitical priests did their thing, and they offered the, the animal sacrifices and so on to God on behalf of the people. That's the role of a priest. And by the way, Peter calls us all priests. 1 Peter 2. We are all priests in Christ. And that means you and I have a job to do, and the job is not just to make a living through the week, but you are called to raise up people you know to God on their behalf. That's part of your work, part of my work. You probably know people that you are the only Christian that they, they know. <laughs> they don't know any other Christians. You're the one they know. And so your job, partly, is to bring them up, to raise them up before God, to, to advocate on their behalf. Do you see what I mean? And that's what Jesus is doing for us. So we don't get all, all that how it works, but Jesus is representing us as our great high priest to God. He's bringing our needs, our requests to God. That's a good thing. It sounds kind of abstract. We wonder how it all works. 
But that's what the priest does for us. So Jesus represents us. Knows us, knows you. And as our high priest, he brings our concerns to God. The book of Hebrews is primarily concerned about this reality. We know more about Jesus as our high priest in this book than any others. And that's good news. Jesus is on our side, and so we see that as we go on. Because verses 7 and 8 talk about Jesus in his world, in his day, in his experience, identifying with us in our sufferings. Jesus suffered. So all the, all the stuff that we suffer, you suffer physical pain, right? And we, we'd all have pain on some level. Whatever that might be. Some little, some big. Jesus knew about that because he, he suffered. Jesus suffered big, did he not? The Garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's crying, he's praying. Note, note what it says in verse 7. Prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. When was the last time you cried with tears because of the pain that you were experiencing? That's got to be pretty big pain, right, to do that. When was the last time you cried, cried, period? When was the last time I cried? I don't cry easily. When was the time? Jesus here, we told, he's making prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. So commentators often think, well, that happened certainly in the Garden of Gethsemane. It happened on the cross. But it also happened when Jesus right, entered the city of Jerusalem, when, when, when he saw them as, as a city that just won't be open to the gospel. He cried, we're told. He cried when he was at the tomb of Lazarus. So Jesus, they're not the only times, right? If they happen then, then they are happening at other times. So Jesus knows our pain, knows our reality from the inside out. We have a song we haven't sung for a while, From the Inside Out. We praise him that way. And we're told, actually, that Jesus learned through his suffering. Notice in verse 8, again, very peculiar idea. Although his, he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, verse 8. So Jesus, as the perfect human, the perfect son of God, still learned something, through what he suffered. He learned about our experience. He learned about our reality. He learned about your reality from the inside out. Jesus in his experience. Jesus in his reality. And so, if Jesus can learn something from suffering, then so can we. We might say that school, suffering is the school, is a school of suffering. Will we go to the school of suffering? Sometimes you're going to learn something in suffering that you won't learn somewhere else. In that pain. In that hurt. I talked to my brother over the years, a number of years ago, before he even came to Toronto, Earl had uh, stomach cancer. And it was quite, quite, 
significant. And he was in ICU, and, and at first they said, man, you, you're going to die. Remember him calling me from Brandon, I, brother, I've got six weeks to live. That's what they initially told him. Like, you are going to die. Get ready. Earl was an orchestrator, he, I mean, a conductor in the orchestra and choirs in those days. Six weeks to live. Then as they started doing more and more tests, they thought, well, okay, it isn't quite that, but it's, it's serious, so we're going to start treating it and so on. But he told me, you know, I, I learned a lot through that experience. Just 40, 40 years old. You got six weeks to live. That's, that's a wake-up call, don't you think? So you and your suffering, we, you learn. I learn. It doesn't have to be just physical pain, right? It can be pain and relationships. It can be pain through situations, through job loss, lots of issues for suffering. So the issue, we'll come back to that, though, is what do we do with our suffering? Do we become bitter and angry over our suffering? Or can we learn something in our suffering? So that's up to us, right? That's how we have to engage it. But here, we're told, Jesus goes through the school of suffering, and indeed, it speaks to his experience. Jesus experienced humanity. We saw that in verse 15. He knows and he's able to sympathize with us because he identifies with us. And he brings our concerns to the Father as our great high priest. And not only that, we are told ultimately that he saves us. This is a beautiful statement. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. The source of eternal salvation. Jesus, as our high priest, has done something for us so great that it says we have eternal salvation. That's pretty good news, right? You just imagine that, right? Just think about that a little bit. What does that mean? Eternal salvation. That's an emphasis in the text. In fact, he's the source of our eternal salvation. He's the fountain. He's the beginning of that. So in spite of all the crap we're going through, that, that is our future, our great future. So can we live with that in mind? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. I remember being in the area of Banff and doing some hiking up in the mountains, and the Bow River, which flows right through Banff, it's amazing, gorgeous, blue, aqua blue river, turquoise, glacial fed. And one of the hikes I was on was, was the source of the Bow River. So the Bow River starts in the Rockies, in that area, and flows down, and when it goes through Banff, you're seeing the beginning of that river. There, there it is. This amazing blue river. Crazy. And you know, it flows all the way across Canada, and finally enters into Hudson Bay. 
joins other names, rivers at that point, Saskatchewan River and so on. But it begins there and goes all the way to Hudson's Bay. That's the source. And so Jesus is our source. And that river flows all the way to eternity. So the source of eternal salvation. Let's think about God for 30 minutes. See, that's the idea. Jesus gives us eternal salvation. He's the source. So he's the one then, right, who does all this for us. Jesus, our great high priest. And so then we are called to identify with Jesus in his power and also in his suffering. Paul writes this statement in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ in his power, but he says I also want to know Christ in his sufferings. So we can know Christ in power, and we can also gain insight into Christ in our suffering. Maybe even more in our suffering. And remember that Jesus is our high priest. He's the one who's bringing all of our concerns to the Father. Jesus, our high priest. Now, in light of that, where does the writer go? Well, the writer wants us to grow up. He says, you, you should be teachers by now. Well, look at this one. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But here, here's the growth. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. The writer wants us to grow up. Grow up spiritually. Don't settle to be stuck in your spirituality. Don't just settle for Sunday school teaching. Grow up in your faith. So it's a call for all of us to grow up. What does that mean? Well, I noted earlier, they have become dull. Which can be they have become lazy, they have become sluggish, they have become slow. They are not paying attention. You see what I mean? That's chapter 2, verse 1. So how do we become slow? In the Middle Ages, there were a variety of words that were used to describe slowness. And one is the word apatia, which is apathy. So apatia, apathy is indifference. We grow slow by becoming indifferent. Indifferent to what Christianity is about. Indifferent to Jesus. Indifferent. I'm thinking about everything else. I'm indifferent to this reality. That's one word, apatia. A second word that was used is the word anime. And anime means being sated, meaning being so full you can hardly even move. It's eating a turkey dinner, and what happens after that? You're so tired, you're so wiped out, you can barely fall on a chair and just sit there, right? That's, that's sated, anime. 
And we in the West, we can do that. We can be so sated because of our abundance. We, we just want to sit there, man. I'll just sit there. Go buy a new Cadillac and you go out and you just sit there in your Cadillac. I'm just going to sit here in my Cadillac. Look at all this. My new Mercedes. My brother drives a Mercedes now. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Earl, if you're listening, now it's an old Mercedes, okay? But nevertheless, woodwork inside. <laughs> that's all right. You can buy that. You don't have to be sated, but you can become sated. That's the second word, right? Enemy. And then there's a third A. What's the third A? Apatia, enemy, acedia. That's the one, right. And what is acedia? These are all words from the Middle Ages. Acedia means bored. Oh, man, I find this whole Christianity thing just so boring. All I want to do is go out and drive my jet ski, you know. I want to go snowboarding on the, on the Rockies. <laughs> Boring! These are ways that we become lazy. So those are just some ways, right? They may apply or not, but we do become lazy. So the writer says, and we become stuck, spiritually stuck. We just keep drinking milk rather than solid food. We're to grow up in our faith. That takes energy to grow up, right? And thirdly, our faculties are trained. Notice there's a word in there, being trained in the NRSV. Verse 14, it's a great verse. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice. Have been trained is the Greek word hymnazo, from which we get gymnasium. So in our new building that we're going to build, we're getting closer and closer to it, we're going to have a full-size gym. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful building and a beautiful gym. And the kids are going to be able to go into the gym and work out, and particularly work on their basketball, because kids in this area love to play basketball. So we're going to build a gym so they can do that, himnadzo, so that they can train, physically train, but the word is used here not for physically training, it's himnazo for spiritually training. We are to go into our spiritual gym. And we are to establish, the writer says, a practice. So what's the practice? What's your practice? What's my practice? Practice is prayer. Practice is reading scripture. Practice is hearing God's word, his voice. How, how do you do that? What's... Your spiritual exercises to grow your spiritual muscles. That's the invitation in that verse. So can we do that? Can we grow up? Can we learn our spiritual exercises so that we become mature? Second Peter ends with this statement, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. There's eternity again but grow in grace and knowledge. So all of that to say then, all right, where do we go? Where do we go with that? Well, the first thing is it's good news because we can wake up, you can wake up, you can decide that I don't want to stay in a sluggish state. The writer says you can do that. You can wake up spiritually 
You may have been asleep for a long time, but you can wake up. Prince wakes the princess up with a kiss, right? I've been asleep for a long time, but now I'm awake. Cinderella. Grow your spiritual exercises. What's that going to be? What's a spiritual exercise that you have and you can develop this coming week? You think about that. Ask yourself, how can I do that? How can I grow spiritually? How can I use suffering so that I can know God more? Particularly, where do we say suffering? In the areas of dislocation, where you feel a jar, where you feel things aren't quite right. That dislocation, start there. That's where you can grow. And it means we need to have patience and we are to struggle through our adversity, whatever that is. I know a number of you, you've, you know, you've been looking for work. And the work hasn't come. You get interviews and then, you, you know, they just don't pan out for whatever reason. So that's adversity. And we're called to have patience in the adversity. It's a form of suffering, for sure. We're suffering through that. But the writer says, have patience through the adversity. It will work. It finally will work out. Trust in God who is there for you. It's easy to say that, but that's what the text is saying. In our areas of dislocation. And then how is spiritual growth finally and best demonstrated? It's in love. It's not in knowledge and IQ. It's not in necessarily the fact that you can know all the names of the Bible and rhyme them off. It's how you and I can demonstrate love. That's the best marker in terms of growing in our spiritual formation. Am I loving more? Where there is no love, put love and you will find love. Can we do that more and more and more? Darlene was telling me the, our churches, the various churches that we have with us, were meeting yesterday with us and Darlene and Spanish churches, Brazilian churches, and they were saying, were they not, that they feel accepted here. They feel loved. And that enables them to engage in active ministry. So our ministry here is not just our English ministry. If, if the Brazilians are doing great ministry out of this place and in this area, that, we're associated with that. If the Spanish churches, and we have two of them, are doing that, then we are associated with that. We are doing it together in our own way, whether it's formal or informal. And they were saying, thank you very much. So that, that's love. They're not experiencing competition. They're not saying, oh, you're afraid we're going to grow too much or something. It's just love. And they pray for us. So where can we show love? And then finally, allow the promises of God to sustain us. Notice Hebrews 6.12. So that you may not become sluggish, there we go again, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God makes promises and he keeps promises. He does. We make them 
break. Your money manager may say, oh, Alan, you're going to make 15, 18%. It's guaranteed. At the end of the year, they say, oops, you've lost 5%. Makes promises but doesn't keep them. Here, God makes and keeps. That's good news, guys. That's good news. So let's trust, let's depend on the God who keeps his promises. And he's made a lot of promises to us. And that allows us to smile, even in the midst of adversity. So that's the, the invitation here. So can we know, can we keep, can we keep saying yes, keep holding on to God who makes and keeps his promises, and Jesus even is your great high priest who is representing you to the Father, our Abba. We could not get any better on that from in terms of what he does. So now drill down deep into your own experience. Okay, I need to keep looking to God even in this hard, struggling time. Because he's with you and he's with me. In Jesus' name, amen.